In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The call to fast in the book of Joel comes in the middle of a crisis. The grape and grain crops of Judah had been either devastated by a swarm of locusts, or perhaps commandeered by the Babylonian army from the north. Just a few verses before our lesson, the Lord had ordered a blowing of the trumpet used to summon the people to the house of God to inform them of the significance of the crisis and to marshal them toward their next steps. This practice of sounding the trumpet arises in Numbers chapter 10 as a command to Moses and Aaron. Quote, make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. In the days of Moses, the trumpets signaled both an ingathering of the people and also alerted them that God was ordering them to move one step closer to the promised land. By the time of Joel's prophecy, when the people were already in the land, the trumpeting served the purpose of alerting the people when a threat was on their borders to dispatch the army in response and then to announce that victory was at hand and to rejoice. The liturgy of trumpeting, beyond these practical purposes, was performed each year on the day of trumpets, ordered in Leviticus chapter 23. Quote, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. At least one day a year, the trumpet would sound to call everyone away from their work and to make a sacrifice in memory of all the trumpet occasions and as an act of worship and obedience. Everyone would drop what they were doing and come to attend to the Lord, bringing with them a food sacrifice. By the time of Joel, though, this worship of God had fallen into neglect. Sacrifices were still offered in the temple, but the people neglected to keep the Sabbath and to remember the reason for the sacrifice. That is why in our lesson, God commands everyone, every person in their orders to actually attend the convocation, no matter what they had going on and to disrupt their routines and turn together in a work of penitential prayer. In our lesson from Joel, the details of that convocation closely depict the ancient feast of the Day of Atonement, observed by a sacrifice made for the sins of all the people at once. Curiously, Joel does not refer to these feasts by their liturgical names, even though those names had long been in use. And there is perhaps a formational reason for this. The people had begun to drift into religious indifference toward the worship of God. The Lord's command to, quote, rend the heart 
and not just the garments, strongly suggests that the Lord is calling on the people to offer the worship of these holy days with inward integrity and not merely through outward gestures, and that the disruption of their agricultural stability was a warning of the drift in their devotion. To turn away from this indifference, they would need to participate in a serious work of the heart and not just keep one more perfunctory holiday. It is not obvious that the people offered this extent of repentance as commanded, but the conclusion of the book of Joel reflects God's promise to honor his love for his people despite their frailties, despite the fact that they cannot muster sufficient repentance. The people in the land continued to languish even though they were brought through this blight and they had been brought back from captivity. The Lord anticipates in Joel's words their ongoing problem of the heart and promises an eventual restoration of the land and the peace of the people in the midst of it. But first, they would need a new heart, one that was capable of real repentance, and so they could answer this call and return to the worship of God, because in the end, that worship was the experience of peace and prosperity in the land. The prayers of the people were not instrumental to the end of keeping their lives intact. Their prayers were their life, were their very reason to exist at all. The interruption of their material prosperity for a season forced them to consider in that moment how they were to offer right sacrifices to God, which relied heavily on the use of grain and wine. And through that practical concern, they had to reconsider what it was that gave them their life in the first place. As they entered a season of fasting, both in the ceremonial kind, but also a fast of scant food. For a season, they re-entered the life their ancestors had known in the wilderness, relying on the hand of the Lord to feed them and knowing him again as their provider. They were disestablished in the land so that they could then be reestablished on better footing. The Lord allowed them to experience the world as they had through their neglect been making it, one of scarcity and toil and despondency, to reflect the poverty of soul that always follows on the neglect of earnest prayer. They were given the grace in that season, severe as it was, that their outward conditions were made to reflect their inward conditions so that they could see them and then turn back again. And the Lord promised that even in the midst of their inadequate repentance, the days would come when he himself would assist and revive that spirit of worship among his people, as he had done in the days of Sinai, when the spirit removed the people to prophesy at the giving of the law. As he proclaimed through the prophet Zechariah, quote, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and of supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, 
and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. And as the Lord would later refer, re- reveal to the prophet Joel, quote, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your daughters and your sons shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my, my, on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. As we view all these things through the lens of Christ, we can see the deeper point being made here. The prophecies of Joel were preparing the people for a renewal of their defeated and distracted spirits. At the same time, they would witness in the days to come the fulfillment of the day of trumpets, the fulfillment of the day of atonement in the sacrifice of the Son of God. When the Lord calls his disciples to fast in our gospel lesson, it is with the same admonition given through Joel. His disciples are to reverse the habit of religious hypocrisy and indifference, becoming those and, and putting away the fasting that only affects the, in, the outside and misses the heart within. Instead, the disciples are to be inwardly chastised while going about their way with joy. Their fasting will prepare them to receive that spirit of grace and supplication so that they may look on the sacrifice of Good Friday with eyes to see that the end of the world as they know it is just the beginning of God's new creation. Fasting becomes for all Christians an act of participation in Christ's sacrifice, of binding all things to the cross of Christ so that they may meet their end and so that we might receive them again with new life. The season of Lent prepares us to to enter into the passion of Christ in such a way that we may pass through it to receive the gift of resurrection and the spirit at Pentecost. Ash Wednesday is the trumpet call to announce that whatever we were doing, this fast of preparation and the prayer that it frees us to offer are now our highest priorities. And we all need that trumpet to blow. We need the world as we have made it to end. We need to be brought to the end of ourselves. If we are left to ourselves, we would, like the people of old, never offer a fast in a way that turned us back to life. Instead, we would settle into a little world governed by, a, governed by an equilibrium that allows us to persist in our occupations and all of our little anxieties until the day that we die in them. As the Lord asked through the prophet Amos, if a trumpet is blown in the city, will not the people be afraid? When the trumpets blow, our initial experience of it is as a disruption to the flow of our time. We experience it at first as being torn away from the things that we thought kept life going. But if we will stop and be gathered to the Lord on this disruptive day and its solemn convocation, we will find that we are gathered not away from life, but toward life. 
that our fasting now is not a denial of life, but a greater embrace of it. When we start to say no to all the things that we use to prop up our sense of self-sufficiency, we find that we are much more provided for than we previously thought. When we put first the worship of God from the altar of the heart, we find that as we practice our fasting, God renews our spirits, that we are given back so much more than we paid for it. As we experience the edge of neediness again, no longer medicated by the daily comforts, we are again in a posture to ask for what we really need. As we withdraw from the presence of those things in God's good world to which we are too attached, we find that in drawing back from them we encounter God again as the father who gives good gifts to his children, who sees what is done in the secret place, and who from that secret place of the heart is renewing each of us, then all of us, and then the whole creation.